Hallelujah. Wow, what a presence of God this morning. Amen. Having a hard time standing under it. Hallelujah. Thank you, worship team, for cultivating the presence of God, for the sacrifices that you make week after week. You know, the the crazy thing about leading in church, you know you can't come up front with junk on you. (laughs) And you have to deal with that junk, and there's some mornings you don't want to deal with your junk. But as leaders, we don't have choices. Because we come under the king of glory and his authority. And so I'm just very thankful for a worship leader. No matter what she's walking through, she lays her junk down to cultivate a place where we can come in to the presence of God. Amen? So thank you, Dusty, for all that you do and all those that that are up here week after week. It's just... May we never take for granted the sacrifices that are made for us to be able to enter in the presence of the King of Glory. Hallelujah. I am going to attempt to share a word with you that has been heavy on my heart for a long time. Um, If you're a new believer here this morning, you need to know that you're on journey. And it's not that I'm not speaking to you because I am, because this is where you're headed. So I'm not giving you a pass, but I'm just, I want to caveat the sermon with you're on journey. So don't hear legalism this morning. People who have been in the church a long time, I don't want you to hear legalism this morning or another religious sermon because it's not what it's about. A few years ago, right before COVID, we had a word in the house that that God was going to lift his hand of grace off the body of believers who have lost the fear of the Lord in their lives. And if you're paying attention to the news, the hand of grace has lifted off body of believers who have lost the fear of the Lord. And having the fear of the Lord, I want to explain what it is and why we need it and what it is not. But I believe that there is a call back to a reverential fear of the Lord, not just in the body of Christ, but in our lives. And next week, I'm going to attempt preaching on holiness. Another word that gets confused with legalism. It's not. It's a mandate of heaven. We've had this word for a few years, and God has called us personally higher. And I've taken that call very serious most days. Other days I get lazy and slack, just like every other believer. But a few weeks ago, back in May, I went to spend time with the Lord in my kitchen. And I got slain in the spirit at my kitchen table. And those of you who are new is I came under such a conviction and a heavy presence of God that I couldn't stand if I wanted to stand. I was sitting, thank the Lord, or I'd hit the floor hard. But I was sitting and I 
fell over on my table, and I stayed there, which I thought was a few minutes, maybe a half hour. It ended up being six hours. And I only know that because my husband came down in the middle of it and didn't know what to do. And I'm sharing this not to boast because I was under heavy, heavy conviction for my loss of fear of the Lord. I remember wailing and thanking God how I take your presence for granted on a regular basis. How I read your word like it's nothing, it's just a duty that I need to do. Jamie Lynn Wallenew says this, God is coming back again, and he is separating even us believers. He is looking for those who are willing to lay down everything, to walk in uncompromising holiness, uncompromising love, uncompromising fear of the Lord. He is looking for those like Abraham that are willing to lay it all on the altar for him. And I sat at that table and said, God, I'm willing to lay it all down on the altar for you. No matter the cost. And I've said that many times throughout my walk. But every time I say it, there's a call higher. And those of you who have heard me speak say, I'm always saying, Lord, what makes your heart weep? Because I want my heart to weep for what your heart weeps for. I want it to break for the things that break your heart. And one of the things that breaks God's heart is when his children stand in his presence and they're distracted by life. When his children come into his house to worship him and their minds are elsewhere, engaged on other things. When his children listen to the words of the Lord from the the pastor up front and say, wow, good sermon, and they do nothing with it. And then God took me to hell. And I see these cages full of people. You know, a lot of believers believe everybody makes it to heaven. That's not the truth. And you need to know this morning that hell was not created for people. It was created for our enemy, but it's real. And we get to choose it or not. The sermon is not on hell this morning. But God took me there and I saw people. And he said, Angel, this is what I break for. This is what my heart breaks for. Is these people in these places and I could hear the screams, but their bodies were not burning up, but the fire was around and I could feel the fire. And it was the worst thing I've ever seen. And God says, when my people who know me, who have experienced me, who have been in my presence and they're distracted by life, when they have forgotten the fear of the Lord, the world around them dies and goes to hell. That's what my heart breaks for. Then I went back into my kitchen.
Oh, Holy Spirit, help me. And God says, I'm, I'm calling my children higher. There's two type of presence. There's an omnipresent that the Bible talks about. And that presence is always there. It's the presence that says, I will never leave you or forsake you in Hebrews. It's the presence that um, is described in Jeremiah 23. I am God at hand, says the Lord, and not a God after afar off. Can anyone hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, said the Lord? There is an omnipresence of God, but there's another presence of God that most Christians don't go after. We can be aware of God and not know God. And we can be aware of God's presence because it says in his words that he is everywhere, but we never experience the manifest presence of God. And David was a man after God's heart because he experienced and sought after a manifest presence of God all the days of his life. When he sinned, it grieved him because he knew that, that in sin, I don't get to experience manifest presence. And so this morning, I want to talk about what is the fear of the Lord. What is the difference between omnipresent and manifest presence? And why we as believers in today's world, we have to be after the manifest presence of God, not just omnipresence. How many of you came in this morning knowing you needed more of God? How many of you wants your family to have more of God? How many of you want more of God in your own lives daily? James 4.8 tells us how we get more of God. It says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It tells us how we get more of God. It's by what? Drawing near to God, and then he will draw near to you. I've studied out David because this pastor did a sermon on David, so I've been studying out David for months. And just God's presence, and John Bevere says this, we make the first move in closeness. We are the ones who determine how close to God we are. So many people I hear, I just want to feel God's presence. I just want to experience God's presence. And God says, you draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And there was ways that we do that, and I'm not going to preach on that this morning. But there are ways that we do that. This is why my sermon on spiritual moms and dads, listen, I'm telling you, our new believers are struggling. It's hard. Our seasoned believers are struggling. This world is hard. I need spiritual mamas and fathers to rise up. I need you to mentor. I need you to sacrifice your time. I won't point our kids out, spiritual kids, to you, but they're dying for somebody to rise up and walk alongside of them.
You know, someone once said that preachers should never yell. So if you feel like I'm yelling this morning, I'm sorry. It's not what I'm doing. I am passionate about what breaks God's heart. And so I will be loud. I've never asked my mom, been super quiet, and you get me talking about something I'm passionate about, and I'll talk your ear off all day long. Most times I'm extremely quiet when everybody else is talking. I am passionate about God. We determine the closeness of God in our lives. And so he's saying, I need my children to draw near. Because there are a lot of people in this world who don't believe that I'm real because they've never seen or been touched or experienced my manifest presence. David understood God's love and his passion. And he understood God's jealousy over him. He knew that God desired intimacy, which is why God said to David that David was a man after his heart. In Psalms 139, 7 and 8, verse 18 says this, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I'm awake. When I awake, I'm still with you. God is everywhere at all times, but his thoughts towards you are many. Scientists say that one cubic foot of sand, there are 1.8 billion grains of sand. And God thinks about us more than all the grains of sand on earth. Can I get an amen? God thinks about you that much. We are the one that determine the closeness, but you need to know the father that created you, the one who sent his son to die upon the cross for you, longs for intimacy with us more than anything else. It's why he sent his son. I have four children, and I think about them a lot. And I have two grandchildren, and I think about them more. <laughs> if you're a grandchild, mom, you know. But I promise you, I don't think of them as much as God thinks about me. Psalms 89.7 says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of his saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. You will never find God in an atmosphere where he is not held in reverence, which is the most utmost respect. Let me say that again. God will never be found. His manifest presence will never be found in an atmosphere where he is not revered. Which, by the way, is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of him. You know, Adam was afraid of God when he sinned. If we're afraid of God, it's usually because shame has come in and we've done something wrong. Or we're afraid of him when we have no 
worth or value over ourselves. You cannot have a relationship and intimacy with someone you're afraid of. It doesn't work that way. The fear of the Lord, according to John Bevere, is to be terrified to not be with him. To not have intimacy with him. It means to venerate him. Venerate means to honor, to respect, to revere, to stand in awe of him more than anything or anyone else. You know, omnipresence, which is God is everywhere all the time. That's why he's God. There are no conditions put on omnipresence. You can have omnipresence because he is. He's everywhere. But the manifest presence is God revealing himself to your mind, your emotions, and to your senses. New believers, it's when you walk into a church service and all you can do is cry. You don't understand why. It's because God's presence has fallen on you. That's a manifest presence of God. It's when someone is speaking life to you and the hairs on your arms stand up in goosebumps. That's manifest presence. It's when you read the word of God and it's like a knife going into your heart because it touches you. That's manifest presence. It's when you're in his presence and there's such a weight on your shoulders you don't feel like you can stand. It's manifest presence. You know, in the Bible, most times when the manifest presence of God showed up, they were face down, flat down. It's because they didn't get it as often as we get it. Because Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. And what happens in the house is we often, we get so used to his manifest presence that we take it for granted. Manifest presence is when you move in the gift of prophecy or a word of knowledge and wisdom. It's when someone, as Katie says, reads your mail. When you walk in the house and someone gives you a word and they're like, how do they know that about me? It's Jesus manifesting himself to you. How many of you in the house have been ministered by one of the gifts that is mentioned in 1 Corinthians? How many of you are like life-changing, like little afraid? What just happened? Our world is dying for a people to rise up and walk in the manifest presence of God. People don't want to just hear about the goodness of the Lord because they've never experienced. They don't see goodness anywhere. This world isn't showing them a whole lot of good. They're tired of people talking about a God and not representing a God. Not walking like a God. The God. Not walking like Christ walked on the earth who saw the sinner and didn't see the sin. And God is saying, I'm, I don't want my children to be satisfied with just omnipresence. I want them to long for more. I want them to long for the manifest presence. 
need to know that we as a house take the gifts very seriously. Because, because do you know what the Bible says will draw men unto God? It's not legalism. It's goodness and kindness. And so we're building prophetic teams in the house and training and equipping and intercessory teams. And we're going to start classes the end of August. The very foundation of the manifest presence of God is having the fear of the Lord in, in our lives. It is when, God, I don't want one moment of my life to be separated from you. It is when you see a vision of hell going, I don't want to go there and I don't want anybody else to go there. The Bible talks a lot about the fear of the Lord, and today we're going to look, as I get ready to jump into the sermon, at the places where the fear of the Lord left the building and the results of that and what happens when the fear of the Lord is the very foundation of everything that you do. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 4. And as you turn there, I just want you to, I'm going to give you a backstory. <clears throat> Eli was the high priest at the time in Shiloh. And it's the second to the last Israelite judge before Samuel and before the rule of the kings of Israel and Judah. Eli was the judge that served Israel for 40 years, and he had two sons that served with him. And these sons were very wicked And they served with Eli, but they did not know the Lord. They violated the law by eating meat that was meant to be sacrificed. And they would have sex with women who served at the doorways of the tent of the meeting. And that is why God needed Samuel, Hannah's son, to rise up. Eli rebuked his sons, but he could never get them to stop doing and functioning in sin. In 1 Samuel 2, you're in 4, 2, it tells this story. And these sons, what they did is they were dishonorable, they were unprincipled men, and they treated things that were holy as common. Let me say that again. They treated holy sacraments as if they were common and nothing to be worried about. How many of you have come into the house of the Lord and the glory of the Lord is in the house and you missed it completely and walked out? That's treating what is holy as common. When we fully don't understand the value of something, we disregard it. And these boys disregarded things that were holy, and they treated it as common. Aaron's sons, before Eli's sons, did the same thing in Leviticus 10. These boys took their respective ceremony censers, put fire in them, and placed incense on it, and offered strange, unauthorized, and unacceptable fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do. And they were burned up in that moment. And God said, I will be treated as holy by those who approach me. And before all people, I will be honored. Having the fear of the Lord is, I will treat God as he's holy, not as something that's common. His presence is not common. It is holy. And I will be honored before all people. 
Part of the problem is a lot of times we get so distracted by life, we don't even have a desire to approach God anymore. We get, we take God's presence for granted like it'll always be there. So what's the big deal? And his omnipresence will always be there. But his manifest presence is not promised. It is promised to those who don't treat holy as common. And this is not just an Old Testament concept. We see it in Acts as well. When Ananias and Sapphira sold property and they were bringing it into the tent of meeting, into the house of God, into the temple. See, that's found in Acts 5, but in Acts 4, what was happening was the, the disciples had come together and they were bringing everything together so nobody went without. And a man in Acts 4, at the end of Acts 4, brought in, sold property and brought in his tithe and gave everything so that nobody would lack. And Ananias and Sapphira decided, well, we want to outdo him. And so we're going to sell our goods, keep some back for us, but make it look like we gave it all. You see, they had the fear of man. They wanted to be patted on the back for what they brought before the Lord. So they bring it in and they die. See, God takes his presence very seriously, and we need to start taking his presence very seriously as well. You cannot come into the presence of God, his manifest presence, unless you have a reverential fear of it. You serve whom you fear, and if you fear man, you'll serve man. If you fear God, you'll serve him. Acts 5.11, after that story, says, I, I'm, I know you're still in 1 Samuel 4, we'll get there. Acts 5.11 says, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Listen, that fear that gripped the church was the fear of the Lord, that he is holy and he is just, and I will come into his presence with a holy fear, a reverential fear. It's a fear that says, God, I don't want to do anything that separates us. I don't want to do anything that would make you upset with me. It's not just this house. There are a lot of houses where the fear of the Lord has left the building and the manifest presence has left as well. When we come in here and God's presence is here and we're scrolling on our phones, his word is being presented and we're distracted by our thoughts. It's taking what is holy as common. You know, and we don't see see people falling over dead, but what we do see is spiritual deaths that take place. And I'm seeing a lot of believers falling away from faith right now. Seasoned believers who've been doing it a long time. 
And part of the reason is their hearts have grown cold because they take what is holy and treat it as common, like it's not a big deal. And so as the mom of a house, there's a word over our house that we will not be a house that treats what is holy as common. John Bevere posed this question, this scenario to his congregation. He said, if you're out to dinner with someone you love and they're on their phone completely distracted, not even listening to what you have to say, how mad would you be? Come on, how mad would you be? Dusty, if Bryant is totally ignoring you as you're pouring out your heart because he's got his phone, his face in the phone, how mad would you be? And if she's like me, she's mad. What about this? You go to a friend's house, a dear friend, and you decided to pop in on them because you just wanted to be with them, and you knock on the door, John Bevere says, and that friend opens the door and goes, oh, it's you again? How would you feel? Would you go back to that friend's house? And yet we do the same thing with God in his manifest presence. We come into his presence Sunday morning to glorify him, and he's here in the house, and we're on our phones scrolling Like, it's not a big deal that he's here. We come into his house, and we're here every Sunday, so we just take it for granted. I'm like, oh, it's it's just Angel being weird again up front. Really? It's just Mark speaking another sermon about how we're called higher. No, it's the sermon that God laid on his heart to preach to his children every Sunday morning. We know that we have a pastor who gets face-to-face with God and say, God, what do you need for your children this week? And we come in and we take it for granted like it's not a big deal. Well, I'm telling you, there are houses all over. There are bodies of Christ all over where the manifest presence of God has left the building. There are Christians whose lives have become distracted and the manifest presence has left the building. I don't understand why I can't get into God's presence. It's because we've treated what is holy as common and your father's heart is broken. First Samuel 4, I told you I'd get there. Verse 4, and the word of the Samuel came to Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines, and they encamped at Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped at Apak. And the Philistines drew up a line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 Israel men. And when the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel, they said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. I'm going to pause right here. Why is it it's only in defeat that we decide we want the presence of God instead of every day of every moment? And that's exactly what the children of Israel, they're defeated now. Oh, now I'm defeated. 
I'm down. Being whooped here by my enemy. Now I will go seek the presence of God. Maybe that's why we walk through one defeat after another. It's because it's the only time we seek God. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts. And I want you to hear something this morning. Yeah, I hear you. God is not angry. It may sound like he's angry because he's using a human vessel. He's not angry. He's sad. His heart is breaking that his children don't care that he's in the house. His children don't care that every day they have an opportunity to come into the Holy of Holies and spend face-to-face time with him. They would rather have Facebook time. He's saddened. His heart is broken over it. He's not angry. He's sad. His heart weeps for you. Just as it did the children of Israel. So the people brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts who enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, the wicked sons, were the ones that brought it in. And as soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout. And so the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come into the camp. You know, our enemy is more afraid of our God than we are. The Philistines were afraid, and they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened to us before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. They knew about God. Your enemy knows about God, and he is more afraid than us. But the Philistines fought that day, and Israel was defeated. And they fled, every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell that day. And the ark of the Lord was captured. And the two sons of Eli, and whatever their names are, they died. Bill Johnson says this, God will bless the world before he blesses the carnality of the church. God will not add blessing to corruption that exists in the heart of his people. He won't blessing get corruption out. The first step to walking in corruption as believers is when we lose the fear of the Lord. And I promise you, it's a slow fade. It's one step at a time. And before you know it, you've walked out the door turning your back on the only one that can make anything right. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to choose it. And I don't want anybody else to. I don't want one moment of my life away from God. Not one moment. He's the only thing that makes sense. My husband, who I, I am, I was little and I just wanted a husband. 
And I thought he'd fix everything. He didn't. He brought more problems. <laughs> no man, no man, no woman can fulfill you. I wanted children. I just wanted to be a mama. You thought my husband brought problems. Have four kids a year apart. There's all kinds of problems. Then they hit teenage years, and I thought, oh, hell, hell broke out in my house. And now they're adults, and it's not any better. I love my kids. It's all I ever wanted, but they don't fulfill me. Only the manifest presence of God fulfills me. And so, in continue, continuing on in 1 Samuel 4, a man comes back and tells Eli, hey, your sons have died and the presence of God has been captured. Because the ark, in those days, that was the manifest presence of God. In our days, we have Holy Spirit living inside of us. That's the manifest presence of God. And he can live inside of you. He can live inside of you, and you can only experience omnipresence. You get to choose if you want manifest presence. When he arrived, when this man arrived to Eli, Eli was a large man. He fell out of his chair, and he died. And one of the son's wife was pregnant, and she went into labor when she heard her husband died. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman attending to her said, do not be afraid, you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And they named the child Ichabod. Do you know what Ichabod means? The glory has departed from Israel. There's a whole lot of houses of God and a whole lot of representations of Jesus that the glory has lifted off because they've lost the fear of the Lord. God's presence, his manifest tangible presence departed that day because the enemy stole it. And the enemy works very hard to steal your manifest presence of God in your life. But you see, the enemy can't take what he didn't give you. You can only give it away. By a lifetime, a lifestyle of sin, distractions, and busyness. The Philistines, the story goes on, and the Philistines had the ark of the presence of God. The enemy had the ark of the presence of God for seven months. And all of heaven broke loose on that enemy's camp. So much so that they became weary of it and said, we need to get this thing out of here because our gods are dying. And disease and havoc broke out on their camp. And so they took it and put it into a house in the woods. We'll go on in a minute. But how long has it been since you've been in the manifest presence of God? How long have you allowed your enemy to rob you of his manifest presence? You see, because the problem with the Israelites, 
They had left the presence long before the enemy stole it. God wants an intimacy with us. He doesn't want a vending machine. He doesn't want you to just show up when you need him like the Israelites did. We have become like the children of Israel when they left Egypt. They cared more about what God could do for them than having a relationship with him. They were constantly, the children of Israel, they were in bondage to the Egyptians. Slavery. They were mistreated. Their children were killed. It was awful. And yet God sends them a rescuer. He takes them out of slavery. I want you to think of your own life. Takes them out of slavery. Takes them headed to the promised land. And all they can think about is going back to slavery because it was easier, they would say. But not Moses. Moses had it good when he lived in Egypt because he lived in the palace. He had it wonder. He was not in slavery or bondage in Egypt. But Moses, when he left, never wanted to go back. In fact, he said, God, why are you sending me back there? Why is it that we encounter God and we want to go back to slavery? I believe it's because we only encounter omnipresence and we lose the fear of the Lord. You see, Moses encountered God in a burning bush. And then Moses decided, I don't want to just encounter you one time. I'm going to have a lifestyle where I come face to face with you whenever I can. And when, when the children of Israel leave, when the children of Israel leave, they, they leave bondage. Moses says, I'm going to take them up where I met God at the burning bush. So he takes them up to Mount Sinai. And God says, prepare them, Moses. Prepare the people because I want to come face to face with them. And so he takes them to Mount Sinai. You know what the people say? Moses, you go up. We don't want to. Moses even tells them when they say, we're afraid. We don't want to encounter them. Moses says this in Exodus 20, 20. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. Let me repeat that if you didn't hear it. Listen, don't be afraid of God's presence because God is coming so that he can test you so that the fear of him will keep you from sinning. Because Moses understood that it was face-in-face encounters. It was the fear of the Lord that would keep you from sinning. Moses isn't contradicting himself. He's saying, you have nothing to fear from God. For God wants to make sure that the fear of the Lord is within you so that you can walk out the journey that he has in front of you. Because it's the manifest presence of God that you need in your life in order to be sustained on the journey that God has in front of you. You see, Moses was a man who knew that without the presence of God, he couldn't do it. There was times that Moses would say, God, if you don't go with me, if your manifest presence does not go with me, we can't move forward. David was a man after God's heart, but he wasn't perfect. But you know, David too went after the God's presence. He had great intentions, great motives, but he ran around about it the wrong way. And we too can pursue God's presence the wrong way. Turn with me in 1 Chronicles 13, and this is... 
the chapters when I was in my kitchen, the Lord just kept saying, study out 1 Corinthians 13. Study out 1 Corinthians 13. So I've lived there for a month. And so when I was preparing to, to preach, because I knew Mark needed to do the parsonage and he needed someone to step up and this was burning inside of me and I didn't know how to, it's such a hard word. Who wants to yell at people to get back? <laughs> I feel like Moses this morning. Hello, <laughs> you awake? And so I'm preparing and I'm like, Lord, what am I going to preach on? First Chronicles 13, First Chronicles 13, First Chronicles 13. Yeah, but Lord, that's such a hard chapter. I might have said Corinthians, but it's Chronicles. So let's go there, First Chronicles 13, verse 1. David consulted with his officials, including the generals and the captains of his army. And he addressed the entire assembly of Israel as follows. If you approve and if it's will of the Lord, let us send messages to all Israel throughout the land, including the priests and the Levites in their towns and pasture lands. Let us invite them to come and join us. And then verse 3, it says, It is time to bring back the ark of God, for we have neglected his presence during the reign of Saul. One of the saddest verses in the Bible. You see, David had finally come to be king, just like he was promised as a young boy. And he's like, we need to bring the presence back. We've neglected it all of this time. It's time to bring it back. So his motive is good, right? It's very easy to get in the habit of neglecting the manifest presence of God. But the consequences of that neglect... Is not easy to clean up, and that's what David is facing now. The tent of Moses, the tent that Moses erected for the presence of God was still going in, but the Ark of the Covenant wasn't in it. You see, the church was still happening, but there was no presence in it anymore. And so David says, it's time we bring the presence back into the camp. And so he's excited. He gathers people, all excited about it, wanting to bring the Ark back. Right motives. Wrong method. Because the first thing you notice is David didn't consult God. He consulted men. Some commentary said that the regulations for kings of Israel was that there were two personally hand copy the law of God so that they knew it and understood it. So David knew that in the law of God, that God had masterfully designed the transportation of his glory to rest on the shoulder of his revering priests, not on the backs of beasts. Either way, David didn't inquire about God on how to bring it back at this time. He inquired of men. And so David did what the Philistines did to transport the presence of God. He placed the ark of God on a new cart that beast would transport. We cannot use the methods of the world to cultivate the manifest presence of God in a house, not even your own temple. So, Uzziah brings it in. You need to know that, I know I'm messing up his name, Uzziah, Uzziah, whatever it is, 
he was the house, he was in the house that the Philistines took the presence of God. So he's been in the presence for a really long time. And so he decides, well, I'll help you bring it down. And so they bring it in this cart. You know, John Bevere says that familiarity will kill your ability to see God. You can see God without seeing God. And that's what happened with this guy who decided, who had been in the presence, his house was blessed because God's presence was there. But he too brought it in like the Philistines, the enemy of the camp did. So David, with all of his might, begins to bring the cart, the presence of God, into the camp, just like his enemies did. And to, a man reaches out because the cart is falling, and he dies. And then David gets angry and frustrated because he's like, God, all I wanted was your presence. And so I'm bringing it back to the camp. But now someone dies. How am I supposed to bring this back? How am I supposed to get the presence back? And so he goes and takes the cart to somebody else's house because he's obviously doing something wrong. Too often as believers, when things don't work out the way that we want to, we stop pursuing God and his manifest presence. And that's what happened in that moment. But he didn't stay there long. David, in First Chronicles 15, after a few months, decides, after seeking out God, after, okay, God, I need your presence. We need your presence. How do I get them back? He didn't just stay stuck, frustrated because it didn't work out the first time. He decided to go back, regroup, and recognize, hey, you know what? Maybe I should talk to God about this instead of man. And you see that in First Chronicles 15. Turn over a couple of chapters. It's a lot of scripture today, but you need to see this. Verse 13, this is David talking. Because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord our God burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. Man, we can really save a lot of time in our lives if we seek God instead of man. So the priests and the Levites purified themselves in order to bring the ark of the Lord back and the God of Israel. God's way is not the easiest way or the shortest way. There was a way that was required for God's presence to be carried and brought into, into the tent. There were requirements that David knew of that had to take place in order for God's presence, manifest presence, to show up. And he decided to take a shortcut, an easier way, the first time around, and it failed. We often blame God for things that fail in your lives when in all actuality we tried to do it in the shortcut way instead of consulting him. And David recognized that. God's way is not at the easiest or the shortest route. It usually costs you something. But it didn't cost as much as it cost David that day. 
Because we have a Savior that died upon a cross and rose again so that the veil could be torn, so that we could walk in to the Holy of Holies every single day, every moment, any time that we want. David, there were things that he had to do to get there. There are things that we have to do to get into the Holy of Holies. But David and the people of God in that day, there were sacrifices that had to be made. We have the sacrifice of Jesus that took place so that we have access to the King of glory anytime we want. A manifest presence of God anytime that we want. And David lived a life that said, I want God's presence all the time, his manifest presence. So he goes back to God and say, God, what do I have to do? How do I bring it back? Because we can't, I will not reign as king without your manifest presence. Show me what I have to do. And so he goes back and he does it. And so he calls the priest and he does it God's way instead of man's way. And the presence comes back. They had to sacrifice seven bulls that day and seven rams. That's 14 sacrifices in order to bring the presence of God back. All we have to do to have the manifest presence of God You say, God, is there anything in me that separates me from you? And if there is, show me so that I can repent and renounce it and come in agreement with you. Because you need to know this. God wants you to feel his manifest presence. He wants you to smell his presence. He wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to feel his presence wrap around you like a hug. That's why he sent his son. And he says, God... God says, my son died so you can have it. All you have to do is ask me for it and I'll bring it. But there is a, there is a requirement and the requirement is purity. It is holiness. It is God, I don't want anything to separate me. What right now needs to be cleansed from my life so that I can have your presence? And that is the people he's looking for. He is looking for a people that long for his presence. A people that says, he can say, taste and see that I am good. Have you tasted and seen that God is good? The world is looking for true believers. Like God is looking for true worshipers. You know, David brought that presence back and his wife was uncomfortable. With the way that he danced before the presence of the Lord. And I promise you that there are people in the church that will be uncomfortable with the manifest presence of God on your life. But you have to get to a place where you fear God more than you fear man. You have to get to a place where I don't care what people think of me. I want you and you alone. I want to feel you. I want to touch you. I want to see you every single day, every moment. I want the Holy Spirit not just to be inside of me. I don't want just the omnipresence where I know that you are there. I want to experience that you are there. He is looking for a people that says, I hunger and thirst for his righteousness and his kingdom more than my own. 
There's a revival breaking out in our land. There are salvations happening in places they shouldn't happen. And God's presence is showing up in places God's presence shouldn't show up. But he cares about the lost. And he cares about you and where you're at. The encounters that I've had in life, I've had two open visions. One was in 2013. One was last month when I went to hell. It was a place where God took me and I knew I was gone. I was no longer in my body. My spirit man left. And I know some of you are like, that's okay. It's all right. But I've had other encounters where I've been on the floor and I could smell this aroma and I looked around and there was nobody there and I knew it was his presence. And it's the most beautiful scent that you can't even put a scent name to it. It's just incredible. And I have had encounters where where God, every Sunday, when I come into worship, I encounter and manifest presence of God. We all get to do that if we want it. but you have to hunger for it. You have to seek after it. You have to be willing to sacrifice for it. You have to fear God above man in your life. You have to want God for more than what he can bring. David said this in Psalms 24, 4, one thing I have asked of the Lord and that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in his presence all the day of my life to gaze upon the beauty, the delightful lovingness and majestic grandeur of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Listen, David didn't want just omnipresence. He saw after manifest presence of God. It's where his senses were engaged. His imagination was engaged. His body was engaged in worship. And that is the call of the Lord. There are benefits of the fear of the Lord this morning. We saw in Exodus 20, 20, it keeps you from sinning. Because when you're in the manifest presence of God and you're so in love with him, the last thing you want to do is hurt him in your relationship than anything else. It's it's like David was when, when sin entered his life. He said, Lord, renew a right spirit in me. It's, it's when you sin and it grieves you to the point where you fall to your knees and say, God, forgive me. I don't want anything between you and me. Remove this from my life. You see, it's, it's not legalism. It's because I'm so in love with Jesus that he's my every breath. And he's so in love with me that I'm his every breath. And it's living in that place that I don't want to lose the manifest presence of God so that I walk intentionally, so I speak intentionally, so I watch intentionally of his presence there sitting next to me. You're tired of the sin in your life? Then pursue the fear of the Lord. The 
fear of the Lord is having, having a relationship with him where he is holy and you will not treat him as common. The fear of the Lord causes you to hate evil and to not tolerate it. But you need to hear me. There's a lot of Christians who hate sinners instead of the sin. And we need to be a body of believers who hate sin because of what it does to people and the separation it brings from God. Proverbs 8.13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. Hebrews 1.9 says, But to the Son, Jesus, he says, Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. Your love, justice, and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. We need to be a people that hates evil and that we come against evil and sin, not sinners. And we do that with love and compassion and grace and mercy. But we will not bow and say, oh, it's okay. It is not okay. It separates them from God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom in Hebrew means skill in war, it's sureness. Wisdom is having knowledge and the capacity and understanding on how to use that knowledge. It's the ability to discern or judge what is too, true, right, and lasting. For example, knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use a gun. Wisdom is needed in your every single day life. And it begins with the fear of the Lord. Psalms 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding. Have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord in Proverbs 9.10 is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. And that life there is not just days on earth. It's a good life where you enjoy life. I'm going to tell you, my best days are in the presence of God. My funnest moments are in the presence of God. You know, we had this group of kids that would meet in 2013 and 14 every day. And they're crazy. they have crazy radical stories of the manifest presence of God. That is their favorite days. And God is saying, I'm calling us back to the days when you long for my manifest presence like you did before. In Revelation, Revelation, God had some things against the church. You've left your first love. You, you do my work, but you have no power. You do what's required, but you have no love. You know, he goes on and he has this list. And this morning, God is calling you higher, back to the fear of the Lord. God desires his presence and his glory to be a blessing. But reverence and fear of the Lord is the necessary channel. A.W. Tozar says this, Left to ourselves, we tend immediately to reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get him where we can use him. 
or at least know where he is when we need him. We want a God we can measure and control. We need the feeling of security that comes from knowing what God is like. And that's just partial gospel. Full gospel is there's a manifest presence of God. And he wants you to feel him and see him and touch him. And he's longing to have deep intimacy with you. True believers, Bill Johnson says, are being positioned to display the wonders of Almighty God, to display his manifest presence to the world around them. Jesus said this in 1037, and I want you to stand. Richard, I want you to pull up the lyrics um, of the song we're about to sing. And the worship team can come. But I don't want it to be distracted. Worship team, I don't want you to be distracted. I want you to hear me. Jesus said this, if I do not do the works of my father, that is the miracles that only God could perform, then do not believe in me. Let me say that again. Jesus said in 10, John 10, 37, if I do not do the works of my father, that is the miracles that only God could perform, then do not believe in me. The world is jaded by a bunch of lip service Christians that are comfortable with just the omnipresence of God. And God is calling his church to wake up. Come back to a place where the fear of the Lord is your driven, where you're driven by. Where the fear of the Lord is what you care about. Where when you come into his presence, you can barely stand because he is holy and he is God. Can you pull those lyrics up? We're going to end in this song. And I'm going to read it in a moment. But I just want you to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, right now I just pray that you would pray against any spirit of slumber, and distraction, any spirit of the Pharisees or Sadducees in the house, we just come against you in the mighty name of Jesus. Any spirit of religion, we come against you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, this is not about religion. It is not about rules. This is about everything about relationship. Holy Spirit, you are the very presence of God here on earth. And God, we know that there's an omnipresence all around us. You're everywhere. Everywhere we look, we see you. But God, you are asking your children to seek after and to be in awe of the majesty of a holy God. Some of us taste and see that the Lord is good. But the price 
that came against you and the enemy that came against you, the price you had to pay and the enemy came against you was too much. So you walk away from manifest presence. Some of you are new believers and you're dying to experience the very thing that some of us seasoned Christians take for granted. And that is the manifest presence of God. And God is calling us back to the place where it says, I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment and I never want to leave. I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. More than anything that you can do, I just want you. Is that your heart's cry this morning? Do you just want Jesus? Well, Jesus wants you more. And I know new believers in the house, God is saying to you this morning, you may not understand it, but I promise you, I want you more than you want me. And I want to reveal myself to you today. Some of us seasoned believers, our hearts have grown cold. And we've lost sight of the first love that we had, of the holy presence of God. I sat in my kitchen that Sunday just groaning and crying out. And I had to repent. Some of us need to repent because we've lost sight of the very presence of God. We've lost hunger and thirst We have lost sight of holiness and righteousness and we're trying to live life the world's way and try to come into his presence. And it doesn't work that way. That's lukewarmness. Another church that's talked about in Revelations and God said, I'd rather have you hot or cold, not both. So search your heart this morning. Where are you? Are you a seasoned believer who has taken the presence of God for granted? Maybe this morning you're a new believer. You just want the manifest presence of God. And I'm going to tell you right now that God wants you to have that this morning. And seasoned believer, God wants you to come back. He wants you to desire him with all that you are. So I just want you to search your heart as we sing this song. And I will come back up and close, but I want you to keep your eyes closed. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would move around this room. A manifest presence of God that convicts our hearts. And that won't let us stop until we come back to your heart. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would manifest yourself to those who have never experienced the manifest presence of God before in this house today.
all the new believers who were saying, God, I want more. I want more than just a logical response to you. I want more than just knowing that you're good and faithful. God, I want to experience you. David lived in that position. God, I want more. I want to live in that position. And God is saying, would you live in that position too? Let's just worship. Allow Holy Spirit to convict your hearts. If you need to come to the altar, come to the altar. There's fire at the altar this morning to burn off distractions, to burn off the things that have separated you. Some of you, you've allowed a lifestyle of sin to come in, knowing it's wrong. Some of you have made mistakes that, re- that <clears throat> made mistakes that caused you to sin. Repent, come back. God just wants you. He is desperate for you this morning. Do whatever you need to do to get into his presence. Let's sing. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.